This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 66 of the Huskies Warming House podcast, bright and early here at 8 a.m. on Sunday, this June 20th of 2021. Uh, I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Max, and we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to touch on some Minnesota Wild action at the tail end of today's show again. And of course, as always, Kirill Kaprizov is in the mix, although in a different light, not for his playing style, but his negotiating style. And we'll have to see how that ends up. Other than that, we're going to touch on some Huskies uh, Illustrated Weekly Roundup stuff. Uh, relating to uh, a bunch of kind of transactions around the NHL. And of course, Western Michigan is on the docket as well as an interesting story about the Dallas Stars too. You won't want to miss it. And we'll start Center Ice View News and Notes as always with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. This morning, Noah, again, for the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Run. Before we get to today's action, Noah, uh, happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers out there who are watching our show. Uh, again, thank you to everybody for all your support uh, over these last uh, 65 episodes, now into 66. Uh, but getting into some hockey news here, two big stories in the Midwest surrounding college hockey for St. Cloud State, announcing that they have extended the hat trick finalist. Uh, Brett Larson to a seven-year contract extension uh, for St. Louis State men's hockey. Uh, 63 wins in his first three seasons as head coach. Uh, pretty much a no-brainer there if you're St. Louis State University. Congratulations to both Brett as well as the university for locking him up long-term. Um, other big news from the dreaded Dakotas. Augustana University is adding Division One men's hockey, becoming the first in South Dakota to offer the sport, not North Dakota. We have to make sure we you know, compare that properly, right? Noah, uh, to be the first one at the top collegiate level there in that state. Uh, Sioux Falls businessman and philom- uh, philanthropist uh, T. Denny Sanford donated money to kickstart the program. Uh, details about the arena, the coaching conference have not yet been formally announced. Uh, the Sanford Premier Center, home of the Sioux Falls Stampede of the United States Hockey League team, sees more than 10,000 uh, for their uh, hockey team. And Augustana says it wants to move all its programs to Division One by at least 2030, Noah. 
yeah, it should be interesting to see how far they take that. We'd also like to move into a long-term contract by 2030. We all have wishes, right, Nick? <laughs> yes, now, we do. Speaking of wishes by season and a flurry of NHL awards, a couple of them were announced this week. Florida's Alexander Barkov took home the Selkie as the NHL's top defensive forward. Philadelphia's Oscar Lindblom won the Masterson Trophy for the player who best exemplifies perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey after tallying 14 points this season in his return from cancer. And 38-year-old Nashville goaltender Pekka Rene took home the King Clancy for the player who exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and someone who has made significant humanitarian contribution to his community. Of course, on the coaching side, Carolina head coach Rod Brindamore did edge out Minnesota's Dean Evason for the Jack Adams Award for Coach of the Year. Let's uh, keep on Rod Brindamore's Shelby, uh, Noah, because Carolina has extended his contract for the next three seasons uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, good to see that uh, Rod Brendamore, who, as you just mentioned, won the Jack Adams Award, is sticking with the Hurricanes. He is a prime fixture, not only as a player, but also as a coach. New York Rangers filling their head coaching vacancy with former Florida and Vegas bench botch Gerard Gallant. Uh, the 57-year-old recently guided Team Canada to uh, what seems to to be an improbable gold medal at the World Championship and also led Vegas in its first ever season to the Stanley Cup final, only to fall to Washington in five. Another personnel news, Columbus has promoted former superstar and all-time leading scorer Rick Nash, who's director of player development last Wednesday. Uh, Nash has previously spent the last two seasons as special assistant to the general manager. And after 15 seasons in his playing career, that saw him tally 547 points in 674 contests. Uh, up north of the border, Toronto and veteran forward Jason Spezza to a one-year deal. Uh, Spezza is 38 years of age after a 30-point 54 game regular season and 5.7, uh, excuse me, five points in seven games in the playoffs. Uh, West Arizona has signed a 21 year old Liam Kirk to an entry level deal. Uh, Kirk, who is a UK boy, uh, trained here to be the first, uh, not first, excuse me, to be drafted by the NHL team when the county selected him in the seventh round in 2018. So a couple more, uh, you know, flags, uh, being into the NHL. And it's always good to see uh, some of some of those new faces they're coming to the, the league, Noah. Yeah, it's super impressive. Uh, Liam Kirk, of course, last couple of years playing for Peterborough and the Peets uh, up there in the Canadian Hockey League. Uh, moving back to the NHL, finally, in a new player poll given to NHL players, there are some new findings of note. Almost two-thirds of players, around 66%, prefer the series-style schedules of this past season, where the teams have played kind of baseball-style homestands with three to four consecutive games against the same team. However, almost 70%, not surprisingly, did not like the temporary realignment, which will return to normal divisions in the NHL next season. By votes, the best goal scorer was Toronto's Austin Matthews. Tampa Bay's Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky were easily the best defenseman and goalie, according to NHL players. Sidney Crosby and Patrice Bergeron tied for the most complete all-around player. Alex Ovechkin, of course, still has the, hard, the hardest and best shot. Chicago's Patrick Kane has the silkiest mitts, plus some great passing tied with Washington's Nicholas Backstrom for best passer. Lastly, Crosby took home the most superstitious by a landslide. Edmonton's Connor McDavid was the best player to have in a one-game series, and Austin Matthews is the most fashionable NHLer today. Once again, welcome into episode number 66 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We are bright and early this morning. Nick, do you remember when we used to do our show? Uh, what was it? Seven o'clock on Saturday mornings. Remember when we did that? I, yeah, I don't, I don't think you remember what a terrible idea that was. 
Oh, no, I do, because this one uh, is not as great. But uh, this was more of a, a scheduling necessity, as they say, uh, Noah. Um, and Yeah, exactly right. Um, but, yeah, we're here. Um, it's it's finally looking like uh, here in the Twin Cities, Noah, that we're going to finally get some rain after basically two weeks of getting just baked in the 90s. Uh, for those weather geeks out there, I know there's a few that, uh, you know, watch our stuff. Uh, the Minneapolis area only sees about 13 90 degree days on average for the entire summer. We pretty much did that consecutively here these last couple of weeks. And uh, unfortunately it's been also very, very dry. So we hopefully some much needed rain today. As much as I'd love to see the sun as much as I can, we definitely need uh, some, uh, some moisture here for the, for the plants and the trees and everything else like this. So, but how are things going up in the prairies of North Dakota? Yeah. Well, a little bit rainy, actually. We had some rain last night, finally um, some beautiful weather, uh, we've had up here, although I didn't get to experience a lot of it, kind of a weird work schedule. We had kind of a big festival going on at where, um, where I work, kind of a big Scandinavian heritage thing. Uh, and we were a little overwhelmed. Uh, we anticipated that uh, there was going to be around 700 people that would likely show up for the weekend. Uh, and we had 3,400 and like 20 something show up. Uh, so yeah, we were <laughs> a little bit overwhelmed from what we had anticipated. So it's going good. Um, but yeah, it's been a very busy, uh, busy nonstop schedule. But you know what? I, I kind of like that sometimes. I'm one of those people that, I mean, nobody likes to work hard. Let's be real. But once I kind of get into the groove a little bit, then I, I feel like I'm in a good rhythm. But uh, nonetheless, jump on the ice tonight. I got a new stick. So um, has it helped? I have no idea. I don't think so. Um, but I like to pretend that it does. So uh, yeah, nonetheless, I, yeah, just hang in there. What do you got? Speaking of uh, some new hardware, Noah, there's one thing that we did not mention, actually a couple of things we didn't mention in the Illustrated Weekly Roundup. I think we should mention the 2021 SESU Men's Hockey Team War Awards were announced. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we definitely, I think, need to cover those real quick. Um, uh, if you don't mind, uh, yeah. the Leroy Radovich Alumni Award, so the most outstanding Caesar, went to Will Hammer. I 100% agree with that pick. Mm -hmm. The Frank Brimzik Award was the most valuable player, went to defenseman Nick Purvix. The Brendan J. and Vernie McDonald President's Award, the most outstanding student athlete, went to Tyler Anderson, who is a three-peat for that award. Congratulations to Tyler. Uh, the William Radovich Award, the most improved player, went to Andre Trayball. The Roland Vandel, or the most outstanding freshman, I think no surprise goes to VT Miettinen. And the Sam Lopresti Award for the most determined, a little bit of a tie here, Micah Miller and Kevin Fitzgerald, both named to that award. The David Torrey Award for the most outstanding goaltender goes to, once again, senior David Reddick. And the Marty Sunvall, the St. Cloud Times star of the season, goes to none other than Easton Brodzinski. So, Boys, congratulations to you who uh, took home awards. And, um, you know, honestly, Noah, it, it, it seems kind of silly. Um, sometimes after seasons like the Huskies had to, to really, you know, give out these kinds of awards. And I say that because when you were the national runner up, everybody has to contribute. Right. So it's, you know, it, it's tough. If I wasn't a team like that, I'm receiving an award. There's no doubt, you know, it, it's a team award, at least that I see it. So, uh, but congratulations to those recipients, uh, definitely well-deserved and hoping to add some more hardware coming up next spring. Noah. But I thought we'd mention those because, uh, yeah, we, we definitely don't want to miss those either. Yeah. Hey, where's our award? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you have to be good at something to get an award, although they do hand out awards for being notoriously bad. So maybe we can get a couple of those. I'm sure I'm sure my <laughs> nephew who is 10, who actually likes to draw in his spare time, could draw us one up and, uh, you know, it, it'd be free at least. So that would be hey, I, I had I, to. 
I have a fridge with a lot of space. I am more than game for that. So I can, <laughs> and I got a lot of magnets and a lot of free time. So not really, but uh, yeah, congratulations to those guys. I mean, it's always interesting to see kind of um, the one that I'm always curious about is uh, people who um, th they're in the mix every year or they get the same award every year. I think that really speaks to the Testament. Not that these guys who, you know, I've gotten an award for the first time, aren't deserving of it. They're well deserving of it, but seeing guys do it, you know, multiple times in a row, I think that's just really impressive uh, to their character and testament to uh, the school, the organization, the program. Um, yeah. And congratulations to all those guys. And we're excited to cover them again next year. Uh, and excited to chat with them as always, when they come around here on the show um, as well. Um, Nick, I guess moving into, we might as well stay with the St. Cloud theme here really quickly and do some trivia stuff. Why not? Yes. Uh, yeah. We had, um, we had a different winner than who actually won. Like I said, when we when I was working the festival yesterday, I, it was swamped. So um, I don't know. I think I picked the wrong winner. I thought it was Tinner Heath. I think it was actually Fight the Pants and Jay Mack that won this one. Um, but nonetheless, trivia question did read. St. Cloud State men's hockey alumni Jeff Finger scored his first NHL goal against Chicago in 2007. However, on what date against what team did he have his first and only three-point game of his career. Nick, I'll give you the date, March 14th, 2009. Uh, who was it against, and what was the point breakout for his three points? I believe it was one goal, two assists, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, the opponent I'm blanking on because it is 8.15 in the morning. <laughs> Can you give me a hint at which conference it was? I, I'm more than curious. Did you actually read the question and know that, or did you just take a stab at the, the point makeup? I I'm, I'm just like, I'm curious. I knew that part. Okay. I knew that part, but the team, yeah, can you give me a hint of the conference? Okay. It's a Canadian team and it's not Toronto because finger played for Toronto. So. Yes, he did. I was going to say, it can't be that. Is it Calgary? It is Calgary. Yeah. The Calgary flames. Congratulations. Nick Maxson. Uh, first I need, to go to the, uh, I need to go to the casino today. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. That's actually why we're up early. We're not up early, you know, for fun. We're actually going to the casino to, to rip it up. So there you go. Yeah, with all the extra money we have, right. <laughs> yeah. With that big Huskies warming house budget. Now that we have go Huskies woo on board. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, speaking of trivia, Noah, um, I, I think there's also some women's hockey news that I think we also need to to divulge to the sure. fans. Um, uh, actually, Noah, because you're the one that actually received the news first, I'll let you uh, take this one up. But uh, uh, not the greatest of news if you're a women's hockey fan, but uh, it sounds like you do have some confirmation of this as well. Yeah, um, as far as I know, and I hope that we're not wrong on this, but as far as I know is from what I heard that potentially uh, number 44 for the women's team, Olivia Hansen, uh, is moving on and transferring to Clarkson. Um, so we wish her the best of luck in her endeavors. Of course, she's a Minot, North Dakota product. So, um, and I always said that she was a great fixture on that power play as well. Um, and she's moving into her senior year, but I, that's kind of what I've, what I've heard in the rumblings from my sources, if you will. And I, I think she'll be kind of sorely missed on, on that back end. I, she was one of those players that uh, as well as being a good player on the power play did a really nice job defensively in front of the net. I mean, yes, she's a defenseman, but did a really nice job keeping players to the outside, a good shot blocker, a good positional really player. Good shot blocker. Yeah. A good positional player in terms of, you know, you know, getting people uh, boxed out in front of the crease, if you will. So we wish her the best of luck if that is indeed the case. And she's moving on to Clarkson. Uh, but this thing state women's hockey team i think is on the rise and we're excited to uh not only see them again next year and the damage that they can do but uh, also we might have some things potentially coming up uh in the near future 
with a couple of women's hockey players as well um, related to our show and things like that. Before we get into uh, the bulk of our show today, Nick, which is the Western Michigan Broncos on the docket, uh, there's one more story that I want to touch on here. And I read this in The Athletic the other day, of course, his retirement coming a mere about six and a half days ago. That's Steven Johns of the Dallas Stars. I don't know if anybody got a chance to check out this story, uh, but essentially he um, was injured uh, in a game back in 2018 against the Minnesota Wild. I, you know, wasn't feeling the best, kind of struggled a little bit in and out with injury through 2019 and kind of up into 2020. And then uh, his retirement was almost essentially felt like um, a formality at this point. And he even said so himself, uh, you know, and he's 29 years old, uh, a difficult thing to see for a player that, you know, kind of worked his way and worked his butt off to get into the NHL, you know, four and a half seasons ago. And then to see it for him to end so quickly uh, was a tough thing, battling a little bit of depression, you know, kind of an identity crisis, if you will, uh, you know, trying to figure out what he's going to do next after hockey. And of course, none of us, you know, played in the national hockey league, but I certainly um, empathize with the identity crisis. Cause I, I remember that feeling too, but he's done some really cool things with it. Nick, if you get a chance to check out this story in the athletic, uh, he's got some uh, rollerblading endeavors that maybe you want to uh, enlighten fans on. Yeah. First of all, uh, for those who haven't checked on the story, please do. It's a very beautifully written story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to kind of add to that, Noah, effectively, it was the battling from injury, uh, which I, from what I gather was was causing his depression only because uh, there was some different there were some different faces lined up. So that, like you said, there's a writing on the wall was pro pro athletes, especially if you know you're kind of in that bottom tier, maybe bottom six. He was certainly a bottom three defenseman and uh, it, definitely a battle of depression, too. Then when it came to a retirement decision. Uh, it, it absolutely was is devastating, right? For pro athletes, I mean, like you said, you work so hard, you you sacrifice so much uh, to get to this point, and then to have you know sometimes things just not fall your way. Uh, it to kind of maybe uh, I don't want to say force the issue, but sort of say kind of, you just have to kind of revisit what you're going to do in your future. And for Stephen Johns, it was very difficult for him, and it sounds like he's found a calling in helping others with battling their depression and this rollerblading in Denver, which it sounds like he's going to be doing quite a bit more than I yeah. would ever do, uh, but for a very, very good cause. Um, and uh, it sounds like he's going to be doing some charitable work around surrounding, helping those battling depression. And I think also anxiety, if I, if I read that correctly. And mm-hmm. uh, I, again, there's a, sometimes going through your own struggles, you find a calling to help others. And it sounds like Stephen Johns has done that. And again, for those, uh, I highly recommend to check out that full article because it's absolutely beautifully written. And I think it gives a really good uh, insight into what Stephen Johns went through as well as, you know, how he really kind of got that snap moment to do what he's going to be doing in the future, which it sounds like. So all the best to Stephen Johns and just a wonderful story out of the National Hockey League. Yeah, uh, his Instagram is S underscore Johns 28. If you want to see kind of the exact post and one of the things that he talked about, he says he's going to be rollerblading cross country. I believe he started in Pennsylvania and he's going to go all the way to the West Coast. Um, you know, so uh, wishing him, of course, the best of luck in that, because that, that's crazy. That's a crazy long distance. Uh, it's got some some shades of Forrest Gump running across country, if you will. Uh, 15 Jennifer. goals. Oh, sorry about that. I was just going to say 15 goals, 18 assists in 167 games for him uh, over four seasons. Of course, Pennsylvania born. So I wouldn't be shocked if he was starting uh, from his home. 
And uh, for for Noah, I know you've been kind of into racing, not only as as a fan, but also from video games wise. Like he's going to need a lot of tires uh, to be changed too, because <laughs> yeah. I, I if we know the the U.S. infrastructure system, it's not the greatest, and I'm sure those tires will get worn down pretty quick. So I hope uh, you know, he's got a support system too, because he'll probably need there are a few different uh, blades, but definitely some uh, interchangeable tires. Those get worn down pretty quick. Because um, yeah. I think from Pennsylvania to the West Coast, that's what almost two thousand miles, if not like seventeen hundred. It's that's a lot oh it's it's got to be could you could you imagine if like steven johns is the man that like changes u.s infrastructure because he's like man this thing <laughs> this sucks yeah pushes was, it through <laughs> they were saying his average speed um you know because he doesn't he doesn't like he's not tearing down the highway but it was something like uh it's like he averages like 13 or 14 miles per hour and then he gets a little over 20 like on some downhill stretches and stuff mm-hmm. um Let's see, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Good thing that's an easy word to spell, right? (laughs) Pennsylvania to California. Should we go Cali? Might as well, I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know where he's going. Say Los Angeles. Just say Los Angeles for the sake of argument. Um, 40 hours, 2,731 miles. Okay, so a little bit more. Yeah, I-80 West. Just jump on I-80 West and they'll take you there, right? So can you imagine this, though? So he's got some good news here. First of all, Iowa and Nebraska are flatter than you know what. They're flatter than a pancake. But going west through Denver up into the mountains, that's a steep incline um, for a lot of that ride. So, I mean, it almost actually might be more beneficial for him. No, it's actually take I-80 south to 35 and then jump on maybe Route 66, I would say. Yeah. That, that mountain climb would be horrendous on rollerblades, especially in the way up because you're going up for a while. And on the way back down, when you get towards like the Western Colorado, I mean, it's a long stretch. Um, yeah. I've driven that way a few times. Um, it's it's not <laughs> built for someone to rollerblade, we'll put it that way. But if he does decide to do that route, I mean, either way, you're going to be rollerblading 2000 plus miles that's insane and doing it for a good cause so you may yeah who am i to say what he's gonna do right yeah especially climbing a mountain and you know the air gets thinner up there it's like do you want the mountain or do you want do you want the heat of going through kind of nevada and the deserts and stuff like that nonetheless more power to him if it was me i'm probably going up through like idaho (laughs) or something like that (laughs) taking the scenic route the lewis and clark route if you will but nonetheless i a team that doesn't take the scenic route uh is a hard heavy physical team that was a real thorn in the st cloud state side and we're going to jump in here with about 20 minutes here to go in our regular show uh is the western michigan broncos who finished sixth in the nchu with 33 points technically fifth over um, Denver University, but DU had 31 points with two less games played. So uh, they finished the season at 10, 12, and 3, uh, a minus 12 goal differential with 3.1 goals per game and 3.6 goals against per game, minus 39 shot differential. A couple of interesting stats before I get to the special teams on that, though, Nick. They were 8-3, 1-1 in their last 13 games, so eight wins, three losses, one tie, one overtime loss, of course, as we know, in the NCHC uh, frozen faceoff, if you will. Um a plus three goal differential in those last 13 games. They were minus 15 in their first 10 games in the pod. Of course, as you remember, they were kind of blown out in games two and three uh, in the pod in between stretches against the St. Cloud State Huskies where they played them tight. But special teams, 75% on the penalty kill, but a 31.5% power play for the Broncos. How about that? So kind of interesting to see a team that really, especially in the second half, boy, what a dangerous group that I think a lot of people were thankful that they ended up uh, being ousted, although very controversially, uh, that first night against Duluth, just because of how good this group was, and they do not lose much this year, Nick. No, they don't. They're retaining a lot. Uh, they actually have kind of a dilemma um, 
related to their freshman class because of how big their freshman class is and how skilled they are and just where they are with ages. We'll touch on that in just a second. But overall, Nick, I think Huskies fans became very familiar with the Western Michigan Broncos, especially in Kalamazoo. What were your thoughts of this team, especially moving into uh, – let's talk about what your thoughts were on this team uh, through the first 10 games and then uh, how your expectations severely changed <laughs> through the second half of the season. Well, first of all, you know, game one, right? The Huskies' first game, uh, Western Michigan. Uh, this is a hard-nosed team. Again, Andy Murray styles downhill uh, with also combined with skill. Uh, and there's no quit in Andy Murray's team. That's the thing. And they're very good on face-off. They're good with possession. Uh, defensemen like to step up. They like to play also a downhill style. And, you know, you, you, have, you almost have to wonder where this team would have been had Brandon Busey not gotten injured. Um, honestly, uh, this is a team that no question with his loss, which was, I mean, let me back up for a second. Brandon Busey was there essentially right in starting goaltender. Alex Aslanitis, who was um, a freshman goaltender, had not played one game. And then they had, um, a sophomore goaltender, oh, excuse me, Austin Kane, right? was uh, the other backup goaltender also had very limited games played. So, you know, very much riding uh, Brandon Busey as far as their goaltender is concerned. And yeah, it seemed like his loss completely just, it shook their roster. And, and normally Noah, you know, you don't really get that kind of a response. You know, when you talk about David Reddick, you talk about Jackson Castor and Joey Lamoureux, you know, it, it, when we see other goaltenders come to the frame with uh, St. Cloud, we didn't really, you know, there's not much of a style difference. You know, sometimes goaltenders, if they play the puck behind their net or whatnot, sometimes it's a little bit of a stylistic difference. But uh, Western Michigan almost took that loss of abuse and said, oh, crap. And it really took them almost the, the rest of the pod to kind of get themselves back squared away. Uh, they were definitely playing much better hockey, uh, but there's no question. St. Cloud was this kind of team a year ago where they were a team that kind of got back together. They were on the rise and they were the, that dark horse team that says, I do not want to play these guys in the playoffs. This, this was Western Michigan this year. Um, as you mentioned that last 13 game stretch, they were on an absolute tear they had some guys uh, from some freshman guys, uh, especially Tim Washi that came in uh, the uh, freshman center who actually moved from the fourth line roll up to the first line role uh, and really st you know, stabilized that top six, uh, you know, taking over, I believe his brother and Paul Washi, who was uh, sort of in that top six center role. Uh, and, and honestly, to me, uh, this team under that head coach, there's nothing that they can't do. And they really started to prove that. It, and again, I, I really, it really felt like, you know, this team was very much getting put under the rug, not for the right reasons, just because, again, I, I just you can't really I can't really explain why it shook the roster that much. But Andy Murray it's, got them under control. It's actually and, interesting. I love the comparison you made with St. Cloud State uh, the year before last, um, you know, yeah. and, and it's a rightful comparison. Think about this, um, that group for St. Cloud State, a young team, a lot of roster turnover. If I'm not mistaken, 15 freshmen uh, yeah. for the Broncos. So a very wow. young team, like you mentioned, a goaltender who had to jump in, who really hadn't played. Uh, you've got, you know, Austin Kane, who is the only transfer out, by the way, only 28 games in his career as a Bronco. He's going to Providence uh, as a transfer out with an 859 state percentage, uh, 4, 410 GAA, 715 and 2 in his career. But, you know, you, you look at that uh, and you're, you're a freshman, you're coming in, you're in this kind of abnormal situation with the pod, especially, right? You have uh, the Josh 
um, Passholt's uh, own goal to start off uh, in the first game. Uh, you lose your goaltender halfway through the first game. Uh, you know, that's a lot of lot of uh, things that for a young team might be difficult to handle. And you saw that they lost whatever it was, 10-1 to 1 that, that next game, 8-2 to 2 the game after that before kind of riding the ship a little bit and, and moving on. Uh, and credit Andy Murray, like you mentioned, his coaching staff. But you, you kind of look at this young group when we talk about it, I think sometimes – when we mention stuff like this on the show and say, Oh, they're a young group, they're a freshman group. And yeah, the freshmen generally are 20, 21 years old. They're not, you know, eight true freshmen, 18, 19 years old. Nonetheless, it's still, it's still a growing, it's still a growing point and a learning curve that sometimes it really can be exposed. If you have the right elements going on, unfortunately for Western Michigan, uh, that happened for them right away last season, but fortunately for them, their response was, utterly outstanding. And I think if they would have gotten through Duluth that first night, they would have had a serious, serious bid to probably push themselves potentially into the championship game uh, against uh, whoever they would have gotten in the frozen faceoff because they were just that good. Um, Nick, when you talk about goaltending though, I mean, how important is goaltending going to be for this group uh, coming back next year when you've got two returning goaltenders and I believe just, I'm going to touch on one person in the freshman class. The only one they have listed is Ross Howerluck, who's 20 from Lloyd Minister, Alberta. He's been playing with Nipawin in the SJ um, and he's got a nine, one, nine save percentage. Um, I mean, he's not playing in the strongest conference, but I feel like they might bring him in as kind of that extra goaltender that they'll see how he kind of performs on that one. But how big is goaltending going to be to solidify this group that uh, again, they don't lose much this year. Uh, it's huge. Uh, again, when you when you lose Brandon Busey halfway, I guess I game one four, essentially what ended up being the season, uh, Alex Aslanitis came in again. They were blown out those next couple of games, 10 to 1, 8 to 2, as you mentioned. And remember this, Huskies, I believe, played them game four um, or is it game five in the pod? And they lost. And, and they lost. And yeah. so there was a huge conversation. I remember us talking about the show, which is, don't sleep on this Western Michigan squad. Yeah, they're losing a goal center. Yeah, they got some stuff to figure out. They'll settle down. But, you know, and I I even think, honestly, for some of the fans, that even if we did win and it was only maybe two to one or four to three, at the conversation still would have been, why did we blow them out like everybody else does? Mm-hmm. The issue is it's a game-by-game change. And as you mentioned, with a younger core group, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a game or two to really settle down. And again, goaltending was a big part of that. Alex Allison, I just, like I said, not a whole lot uh, of experience coming in. Um, obviously, we've got, you know, trial by fire, unfortunately, to the NCHC and how good the offenses can be against him. But uh, Andy Murray and his coaches have made a couple adjustments, uh, really tried to say, hey, you know what? We got to help out our goaltender here. Let's get back on the force. Let's also use what our strength is. And you saw the tide start to turn with that squad. And it really started to become, you know, they were, like you said, I really think that not only would they have made a push for the NCHC conference championship, and I think they could have won that if had they got through that, they would have been probably the dark horse candidate to be an NCAA final uh, frozen Mm form. But in my opinion, I think they were playing that good. So it's going to be important, but I think honestly, that's, not really the question for them. I think the question is going to be for them, kind of like where St. Cloud was a year ago, what's that next step going to look like? How big is that next step for this young group going to be? I think they already took a large one, just, you know, getting through last season, getting through the pot and really just, you know, trying to get over what you can't control per se. 
and taking what you have and, and making sure you make it a strength. Uh, so it's going to be interesting where they, you know, can they pick up where they left off? Are they going to regress a little bit? Um, again, the one thing about them, as you mentioned, Noah, is that not a lot of roster turnover. So this is going to be a group that knows each other, that plays with each other. Um, and they're going to be itching to get back. Cause I think, again, there's sort of that we, we missed an opportunity to prove how good we really were. I think that's going to be a chip on their shoulder. And they're going to be a very dangerous hockey squad coming up this season. Yeah, you talk about that minus 15 goal differential for the first 10 games in the pod. If both those blowout games were one goal hockey games, I think the goal differential goes down to minus three and they would actually be even on the season at zero uh, finishing finishing that out. Uh, I'm also glad that you mentioned uh, players, uh, you know, kind of feeling like there's some unfinished business. They do have uh, some key returners here. Uh, a couple guys that are going to exit as well. One of the returners that was listed in there as well that got a pro offer was Ronnie Adderd. And he said exactly the same thing that you were saying, uh, you know, moving into his junior year is he's like we have some unfinished business we have a group here that can win that can compete uh the the three players that are on their way out as far as i can tell here nick uh they're losing uh two forwards a defenseman um and then of course that goaltender transfer in austin kane uh the forwards brett van oss uh 80 games played for him 22 points uh, in his career and lucas samuelson uh 1.20 games on the front end for him and then kale bennett uh, 113 games played on the back end, 17 points. Uh, fans might know him as the NCHC Scholar Athlete of the Year, a 399 in biomedical sciences, uh, playing in his redshirt senior year. So congratulations uh, to him on that award. And uh, yeah, love seeing guys who not only can uh, they be smart on the ice, but smart off the ice too. Always like to see um, that kind of take precedence. So I that there's one guy that maybe I could see, you know, potentially returning. Um, but uh, he might be on to bigger and better things. But biomedical sciences, you know, if Western Michigan has the opportunity for uh, postgraduate, you know, more postgraduate stuff for him, uh, there's definitely the possibility. Um, yeah. What well, I was got? just going to mention too, uh, uh, Western Michigan, uh, you know, first of all, Ronnie Adderd, I believe a Philadelphia Flyers draft pick for them, him to say no uh, to, to that opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's pretty big. Because if those who watch the Philadelphia Flyers implosion this season, there's definitely plenty of room, I think, for some new faces in the back end. But I, I think when you talk about, you know, the medical sciences, uh, how about that? Was it $650 million gift that Western Michigan received yeah. this uh, this summer? And so that's split up between athletics, uh, the, the, the medical school, and I think some other academic programs. Um, holy cow. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's I, insane. I, I saw that. If you, if you get a chance, uh, definitely check out Western Michigan, um, their website. Um, in fact, I'm trying to pull it up right now, Western I, Michigan, but there I, is a name for it. <laughs> there is a name for it. I do believe that the athletics gets 200 million of that pie. Um, I think the medical sciences get, I think either 250 or something. I'm trying to remember the split, but I do believe the athletics gets 200 of that split. Um, either way, that's um, from what I understand is that the whole idea was to uh, to essentially provide some financial stability for everything is you know like a long term you know sustainability kind of a, a program was if I read into it correctly, um, and I know that St. Cloud I know we talked about this Brett Larson is going to be doing uh, something similar obviously six hundred and fifty million would be nice yeah. I'm not sure if they're going to get it but every dollar helps so folks if you're watching this show or listening to it absolutely donate if you have even five bucks uh, to the I believe it's the Miracle Fund I believe they're calling it for St. Cloud State um, mm -hmm. uh, you know even like I said donate five bucks uh, the program definitely could use your support and uh and if it's not like that buy a couple tickets this season because this team was going to be fun to watch number one it'd be good to get back in the herb and certainly help uh, financially support these uh not only program but also student athletes as well yeah fight the pants jmac does a lot of things on twitter too um kind of matching goal goal scoring uh, on a given weekend too so definitely uh jump in on that train it's the empowering futures gift for western michigan i uh, uh 
200 million for the university, 300 million for uh, the medical program and 50 million for the athletic programs there. So, okay. So I had that back mixed yeah. up a little bit, but close. That's enough. right. <laughs> hey, you know what? If someone wants to drop a cool 50 million onto our doorstep, I think we'd be more than rightfully happy. So wishing uh, it's good to see a program being able to be funded and, you know, move into that next step, similar to, uh, as we saw it with Alabama Huntsville and their next step as well. It's just nice to see. Um, and then Augustana as well, seeing the game grow, seeing people chip in and make it happen. Uh, it's just impressive. Speaking of players that are going to stay to chip in, uh, three more players that were seniors that got uh, pro offers that are going to stay. Uh, this is going to be huge. Um, three forwards here. Uh, Josh Passholt, who, uh, of course, uh, we all know with relation to Jeff Passholt, uh, 80 points. 19 of those coming last year and 128 games played for him. Of course, his big breakout year was his sophomore year where he had 34 points, 16 goals, 18 assists, and was, uh, you know, in the running for leading the goal scoring charge in the NCHC for a while there in that year. Uh, Ethan Frank, what a great return uh, that is for this group. 79 points uh, for him, 21 of them last season. Uh, led the team in goals last year. And then, of course, Paul Washi, as you kind of alluded to, 61 points uh, in his uh, campaign as a Bronco. 42 of those points have come in the past two seasons, and he's led the NCAA in faceoff percentage at a 642. Uh, yeah, so, you know, and he also led the team uh, in plus minus at plus seven. So you talk about a guy that's uh, responsible on both ends of the ice and is starting to contribute. That's uh, extremely important. Nick, before we get into the recruits and kind of the dilemma that they have here a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about those impact players. 12 of their top 13 scores last year had a shooting percentage at 10% or better. Uh, Ethan Frank was the one at 21%. Uh, Ronnie Adderd is one of my guys. I think that, uh, you know, once you have that success, uh, you know, at 22 points in your sophomore year um, and having a career year, how do you translate that to the next level? How do you prove that? Yes, it wasn't a fluke. Yes, you belong. Um, and on those lines, I think Josh Passholt, uh, there's a guy that fits along those lines, had that huge breakout in his sophomore year. Um, hasn't really gotten double digits in goals since that point. Uh, I think that this is an opportunity for him in his fifth year to really kind of raise his stock, if you will, and really help this Western Michigan program. I'm curious to know what yours are. My biggest one um, might come out of left field here. Um, and apologies if I say this name wrong. Is it Jason Poland, who's a junior? I'm going to be a junior. 14 points for him last year in 23 games. I uh, had a fourth. Um, fourth best on the team, 52 shots on goal and a 13.5% shooting percentage. I always like to look at that interesting statistic of how many shots do you put on net? Because for me, that makes me think about, are you driving possession? Are you a catalyst on the offensive side? Uh, and he was a guy that when you look at his statistical um you know, numbers, obviously. I, I, he's a guy that I think drives possession that doesn't really get a lot of love, um, you know, on this group. So he was another guy that I feel like could be kind of a sneaky dark horse candidate for um, being offensively gifted and contributing in that regard. Of course, as we mentioned, Golden is going to be huge, but uh, who are maybe one or two guys that maybe stick out for you, Nick? Uh, one of mine is uh, Michael Joyu. Uh, mm -hmm. Joyu to me was a puck possessor. Um, all season, last season, he was the guy that was noticeable um, on the ice. Uh, you know, again, uh, Western Michigan plays, uh, again, a very heavy style, but, it, you know, they also combine it with a lot of uh, cycle and offensive puck possession. And Joey was a guy that on the back end uh, really helped to solidify, uh, you know, keeping the puck in. He knows when to pinch. He knows when to cycle down and to involve himself in offense. He's a great skater, too. So he's going to be uh, one of mine. I'm actually going to go up back to uh, Paul Washi again. Uh, you mentioned faceoffs. You know, we're, we're talking about this even in the NHL is, you know, one of the things that's for Montreal, 
short little uh, side note here is, you know, you need to win faceoffs, And uh, one of the things that, you know, Nick Suzuki has been doing for them is winning faceoffs. Uh, he's winning them at a, just an outstanding rate. Um, and then you have Tim Washington, his brother, you know, comes up and flips up and they're both good in, on the dot. But by winning the faceoff, you gain possession right away. You can execute your game plan. You're not chasing. And uh, so to me, those are two guys that stick out to me. Uh, they're veteran guys uh, and their guys are going to help, you know, just to really be that sort of that leader and that concrete uh, for the squad. Again, that's still very, very young in its core. Yeah. Speaking of <clears throat> holy smokes here, Nick, way too early in the morning for this. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's move into uh, the potentially uh, new freshman class coming in. And again, the, the whole COVID situation uh, made things interesting for some of these teams that really were stocked in the pipeline um, with some of these guys here. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where Western Michigan goes with this. Um, I've got, uh, you know, seven players that I think, yes, they're coming in addition to a roster that doesn't lose a whole lot of bodies, um, 12 potentially, um, you know, or I should say, uh, sorry, five potentially, um, that might end up in addition to that. But I think that, uh, um, the, those potentials, um, because of their age, even though they're having great seasons, I think they might wait a year on them just because of, you know, how many bodies they have coming in. So, I mean, Barrett Brooks in that maybe category, he's 19. He had almost 40 points, uh, with Austin in the NA 22 goals, um, for him, Carson Riddle, um, was with Austin as well. The Austin Bruins really having a good little campaign, 37 points in 52 games last year for him. He had 72 points in his last season. Theo Thrun uh, played a couple of USHL games, producing well uh, in with Kenai in the NHL, and then a couple guys in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, Christos Rodas and Matteo um, Pachia, um, who are 20 and 21 respectively, uh, 60 points in 54 games, 50 points in 44 games in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, but they didn't play last year um, because of the status of that league as well. Pachia is 21 years old, so kind of curious to see if he might make the jump there, but. The seven that I think are coming here, Nick, uh, and apologies if I butcher any of these names. I'm doing my best here. I believe it's John Gurney on the back end. He's 21 from Michigan. He had seven points for Green Bay in the USHL. Good little defenseman that might jump in there. Uh, Nick Strum, uh, age 21 from Dayton, Minnesota. He had 13 points for Fargo on the back end uh, in the USHL. This forward group that potentially is coming in here, Nick, uh, you want to talk about a team that was already getting three returners back and could still add more bodies here. Uh, Cole Birch from Markham, Ontario. He has 38 points in 49 games for Youngstown. Uh, 20 goals for him on the year in the USHL. Zach Fairmouth with Des Moines in the USHL. Des Moines. Des Moines. Holy smokes in the USHL. <laughs> wow. I'm going to get crucified for that. 20 points for him in 49 games played. He's 21 years old. So I think he makes the jump uh, from Jackson, Michigan. Um, a couple more here, Nick, on the list. Just two more forwards here. Max Sasson. He's 20 years old from Birmingham. Uh, but uh, 49 points in 28 games with Waterloo in the USHL for him. He's been uh, average. Yeah, <laughs> 20 goals, 29 assists. That um, that Waterloo Blackhawks team is really, really good, as well as the Muskegon Lumberjacks, as we touched on uh, in our last session uh, with Denver, I believe. 75 points in 88 games played with Muskegon in the USHL for the past two years for Dylan Went, who's 20 years old from Grand Haven, Michigan, on that forward end as well. Then, of course, we mentioned Ross Howard looking at uh, probably making that jump too. Nick? What is Western Michigan going to do with all these forwards that potentially have an impact to make a difference right away? Um, and I guess how well is that going to breed competition for some of those guys that are already there? Well, first of all, we're missing one piece of the puzzle and, and here's, and here's, and here's what I know I'm, I'm setting you up for failure here. Um, <laughs> I like to do that sometimes. Uh, 
honestly, it's going to come down to an individual conversation with these players, right? There's, there's no way there's room for all seven of these guys. There just isn't. And especially when you can, for Andy Murray's squad, yeah, there's some offensive numbers there. You also got to remember Andy Murray's a very stingy defensive mind too. Uh, there's a big reason that, you know, he was an, an NHL head coach is that he knows both ends of the ice and he demands you know, that effort on both ends of the ice. So I think the question is going to be, we see the stats, we, we see what these guys can produce offensively, but maybe, you know, do some of these guys maybe need another year in development for maybe uh, defensive zone coverage, especially in the forwards, um, I, I, that kind of thing. So I, I think, honestly, I, I don't mind that list for seven. The problem is you can't bring up seven guys on a roster that has only three spots. Yeah. Because um, unfortunately, you know, with what we saw with the transfer portal this year, and maybe it's a one-off too, but you don't want to bring in a guy that is leading his squad or in the top end of like maybe either, you know, junior hockey or whatnot to have him sit in the bench because yeah. then that gets in his mind, right? It's, it's one of those where you're kind of massaging your prospects per se, and you're trying to figure out, well, what are the chances these guys playing? Do they really need another year? and juniors because again yeah offense is one side you also got to be good on the defensive side so i think there's going to be some tough conversations to be had and as you mentioned you know there were some guys that didn't play last year i would think that uh maybe some of those guys stick around another year and again you know each individual we haven't seen these guys skate um there's some potential there or you know maybe you know here's the other part of it maybe more coming than that i'm describing and maybe there's some guys that uh, in that bottom six or whatnot that you know were you know, in jeopardy. Yeah. In jeopardy. Exactly. So it's going to be interesting um, you know, for Western Michigan, as you mentioned, we have a core group that really was on the up and up. So does anybody want to change a lot of that too? So there's that, uh, there's that familiarity too on the ice with, you know, with these players and it's a tough decision. It's a very, very yeah. tough because you don't want to, you know, fix what's not broken, but you also want to improve your team any way you can. So um, it, it's going to be very, very delicate for Andy Murray, mm-hmm. that coaching staff to try to figure out what this roster is going to look like and to how to you know bring in the right folks to who are they think are ready for both ends of the ice and and not to you know break up what was working so well and to continue that train that was on such an uphill climb here towards the end of last season yeah it's a great but also crappy problem to have and of course one they couldn't have anticipated right because this recruiting for most of these guys has done well well in advance years before uh john gurney nick strum and uh, zach fairmouth i think are coming for sure just because they're aged they're all 21 years old I think Ross Howerlick maybe shows up as well just because on that goaltending side, but uh, uh, Cole Birch, uh, Max Sass, and Dylan Went. I mean, three offensive powerhouses, all forwards, though, and they're only 20 years old, so that's the question. Do you feel like one of those guys is ready to make that jump or not? So it would be interesting to see for this group here. We are a little bit over time, but we got a couple more things to touch on here. We're going to touch on the schedule, the coaching staff, and then our parting words, and then we'll spend uh, just a – just a tiny bit of time here on our Minnesota wild coverage as well too. Uh, Nick, their schedule is as follows Miami, St. Cloud, Denver, and Duluth and North Dakota. They'll all see twice for their NCHC schedule, Colorado college in Omaha. They'll each visit uh, for a pair of games each in uh, that one, St. Cloud, November 19th and 20th, will head out to Kalamazoo. Uh, in February 4th and 5th, they'll be back at the Herb Brooks national hockey center to face the Western Michigan Broncos. That should be a good one. Uh, coaching staff here, Nick, as you mentioned, head coach Andy Murray entering his 11th season, only one of uh, 39 coaches in NHL history to hit 300 wins with LA and St. Louis. 
Uh, he has a 515 winning percentage uh, at the University of Western Michigan. He's made the tourney for the NCAAs twice in those 11 years. He's finished at 440 or better all but one season, and six of those have been over 500. So uh, that's uh, putting it lightly for uh, what Andy Murray brings to the table. Nick, uh, very quickly here, what does Andy Murray really bring to this Western Michigan group going beyond the numbers? The big thing is he brings his accountability. Um, he's a guy that does not get pushed around, you know, in terms of his coaching, he, he has high expectations for his players and he holds them accountable. He's not afraid to shorten his bench. He's not afraid to mix up his lines. Um, we saw that again, again, with Washi uh, and the Washi brothers today, Paul Washi, again, an upperclassman, a guy that is great in the faceoffs started in the top six and Tim Washi comes in and they basically flip-flop Tim came in and up to the first line, Paul went down to the fourth just because he wasn't doing exactly what Andy Murray wanted to do. So same, same, same last name on the name play. It's hard, easy to get confused, right? I know, right? So, but but that's what he brings. Uh, he's also a character. Um, he's also a character. If you ever get a chance to, to talk to Andy Murray, he's he's a funny dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say this. He thinks he's funny, but actually, he, he has actually got some good jokes. Um, there's there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of folks that, uh, here in Minnesota that know him very well. Monkey, he was a Burnsville native for quite some time, uh, even when he's coaching in the, in the big leagues. So he's a well known figure here in the Twin Cities, uh, but uh, very very uh, deeply embedded hockey guy. And you know, again, that leadership and that NHL experience he brings. You know, it's a big reason why a lot of his recruits like to go play for him because they feel like, again, as a former NHL head coach, that development process is so important for these young players. I feel like that he can give them the tools and those little tweaks to their game to help them make uh, a crack at the NHL for the next level. So uh, that's what he brings. And again, assistant coaches again, uh, Pat Firstweiler, I believe, is the other the, the longstanding one. And then I'm um, trying to forget the new one that took hey, over for um, Dave Shayak. JJ Crew is the new one. Firstweiler is an interesting one here, uh, kind of because he spent the four previous years before coming back in 2019 with Detroit because um, he was under Jeff Blaschel um, with the Detroit Red Wings. He was actually brought in originally at Western Michigan in 2010 under Jeff Blaschel, where Andy Murray was also there as well. And then when Murray was promoted, Murray kept him on staff until his four-year departure. Um, you know, he's won a gold medal at the Five Nations tourney. Um, he played for Western Michigan, 95 points from uh, in the early 90s, uh, graduating in 1993. He played 11 years in the International Hockey League in the IHL back when it was still um, kind of oh, a big... A bigger, yeah, and a bigger league. Uh, JJ Crew, as you mentioned, he's in his second year, um, was director of player development in the prior um, times for that. Um, he actually played uh, under Andy Murray when Andy Murray was an assistant from 2008 to 2012. In those years where Jeff Blaschel was there as well, 55 points for him uh, in a Bronco sweater. And he spent time with the Buckeyes in Ohio, coached in Junior A and the USPHL. And let's not forget, Nick. Interestingly enough, they have a fourth one listed on their um, website as well. Their goalie coach, Will Massey, in his second season, he spent uh, 2016 to 2020 with the Broncos, uh, a 907 in 15 games played with their ACHA club, got called up uh, for four years um, with their group, played two games uh, for the Broncos, one of those being against the St. Cloud State Huskies, uh, exactly a 900 save percentage for him in that one. Um, yeah, so a great, great coaching staff for this group to really um, really kind of dial in on. Uh, overall, though, Nick, this Western Michigan group, there's a reason we have them with only North Dakota and Duluth remaining. There's a reason that they're in this spot on this list right now. I, they are potentially a team, if they can figure out their goaltending situation, uh, gee, they could be a dangerous, dangerous team, not only this year, but for a couple of years to come with the pipeline that they have going on. If you're Western Michigan, what's the key to success for you to really make an impact all season long here in the NCHC this year? And if you're St. Cloud State, you got four games, two of those, of course, in Kalamazoo, which is a rock and building. How the heck do the Huskies handle this group? 
first of all, uh, I'm not sure that goaltending is as much of a question mark as you're as you're as you're framing it with Alex Aslanitis. Uh, yeah, they started uh, with Austin Kane after uh, Busey got injured and Austin Kane um, had some up and down. And then Aslanitis comes in as a freshman uh, and really solidified and a big part of the reason why they kind of went on that run post pod, if you want to say it. Uh, so I think he's got the starting position. But uh, for them, you get to pick up where you left off. And, and I think for them, that's that downhill style. Again, that's that hard, heavy, but good cycle offensive game um, and they team that's a team that also defends well but they block a lot of shots too they're a team that sacrifices in the defensive zone that's gonna be the key for them just stick to their game and for their roster uh, situation their conundrum on the roster you know how do you, you know, how do you make up the roster with who you have still who is coming in to really just complement uh, you know that game style that really kept you successful uh, for the Huskies that get them fits uh, last year, did it not know? And mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that gave him fits is Western Michigan. For its, we talk about their brawn. This team can skate. They seem can skate very, very well. But more importantly, I think defensively for the Huskies, uh, not a lot of great age scoring opportunities in, the, in their offensive zone. Uh, they do a really good job of keeping teams to the outside. They're very good at boxing out in front of the goaltender. Um, it's a battle every time you play this hockey squad. And again, they're one of the few teams uh, that are out there besides North Dakota and, and, and Minnesota Duel that can skate with the Huskies with that up-tempo style of play. Um, they can transition well. And for the Huskies, you just have to get the puck behind their D and you have to work. You can't sit there uh, and you have to somehow get into the interior of that defense too. You have to be willing to take that sacrifice to take those, you know, cross checks to the back at some points, it's going to happen and really get on their interior to try to take away that goaltender's vision. And also from the point, making sure that you walk in the blue line, uh, looking for that lane because it's not going to be there long and just try to get pucks through. It doesn't have to be a hard shot, but if you can get pucks through traffic against that uh, and create second and third chance scoring opportunities, that's the key to success to get into the Western Michigan net. Uh, but again, it's not an easy uh, uh, situation at all. We make it sound easy, but it's not at all. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I honestly think when you look at the NCAC, there's kind of like four skill, skill speed-based teams and four kind of heavy physical teams. I'd say your heavy team's got to be Colorado College, Omaha for sure. Um, I'd even maybe throw Duluth in. Um, and then I think Western Michigan rounds out um, the four physical teams. Then, of course, North Dakota, St. Cloud, Miami, and uh, um, Denver are going to be kind of your more skill-based, speed-based teams. Uh, Western Michigan, there's <laughs> no secret, especially when you go up to Kalamazoo with their identity. is It's hard, heavy, physical, blue-collar style. Um and that's their kind of their key to success. I think uh, it almost goes back to the Omaha Mavericks and what they bring, you know, with their physicality. I think when Western Michigan is really on, they're a group that they almost make you timid to come through the middle of the ice and come through the neutral zone and feel like you're forced to dump the puck in the entire time. Then you have to go back. You have to engage in a physical battle to get the puck back from Western Michigan. Then Western brings the puck off the ice. They chip the puck into the ice. And then as a defenseman, you're turning your feet and you've got two Western guys that are right on your tail and you know, you're going to end up in the fifth row (laughs) every time they're going to finish a check every time. And that's what makes Western so successful is they, the, the wear and tear and the grind uh, when St. Cloud had to deal with that, especially some of these teams that, you know, are like St. Cloud who maybe are a little bit more skill and speed based. I think that's the key to success for Western is using that physicality, that grit in the corners to their advantage. Um, and, and again, it's almost like they're, they're a team. Yes. Every group has systems, obviously, but I think Andy Murray just finds an extra gear within his 
system design to really get the most out of the style of play that he wants his team to play. And when it's that blue collar style, Western just seems to have that extra ounce of forecheck that really is so deadly. And we saw that so much in the second half, giving not only St. Cloud, but most of the teams in the NCHC that they saw um, real fits. In fact, uh, out of uh, when they came back from the pod, the only weekend I thought where Western really struggled was actually right out of the gate against Miami. And then after that, they were just on a tear and a buzzsaw. If you're St. Cloud state, um, when you look at this group, um, for Western Michigan, yeah, you know, they're going to play that hard and heavy physical style. You know, they're going to play almost like a, it's almost like a modified trap where you're trying to essentially like force St. Cloud to dump the puck in the Huskies have to honestly build their breakout up from the back end. And it has to be with numbers. Um, and with patience, it's one of the few times that I think that St. Cloud has to be patient and pick and choose their spots where to use their speed. And what I mean by that is little chips off the wall, kind of isolation plays, creating two-on-ones all, all over the ice. Because I think if you're if you're playing into the hands of Western Michigan, you're dumping and chasing a lot. You don't have the puck a lot. Uh, and again, it's a great game plan for the Broncos. And then if you're the Huskies, you've got to have the puck. You've got, you're a skill-based team. You've got to have the puck more. So I keep saying so, but if you're the Huskies, it's, it's, I can see it in my head. It's almost like this controlled slow breakout where I see, you know, Nick Perbix coming up the ice. He's got a defenseman that's going to trail, trail him as kind of that support there. You've got uh, forwards crossing and then a third forward swinging through and you come out with, you know, three or four abreast, if you will, and a little bit of depth instead of, uh, you know, St. Cloud can sometimes get away with a one or two man forecheck or carrying the puck in those opportunities. And I think that's where St. Cloud has to uh, really be patient with this Western Michigan group instead of playing into the hands of their defensive structure, if you will. And, and to that point, Noah, you're, you're absolutely correct. When you talk about that modified trap too, yeah, it is a game of chess, really. It's a, it's an outweighting thing because again, with St. Cloud, they're a team that wants to, they want to play with pace or a team that likes to stretch and they love that stretch pass. They love that quick tip in. Uh, but again, when you're doing that against Western Michigan, that plays most of their guys back, they're going to outnumber you every time. So like you mentioned, you got to come up for the neutralize with numbers. And again, if you do end up having to dump the puck, you got to come up with three or four guys and you have to be all in line to be all with speed. You can't be going there at, at half pace. Cause again, all these, and these guys, like I said, Western Michigan can stay skate, especially in the back end. So if you're going to dump the puck and you got to have that first, second and third man support in right away, because again, first guy's going to be the one that takes the hit. Second guy's going to try to you know, get that loose puck and you got to have a, a passing option right away. You just have to play kind of that, you know, so that waiting game. And it's almost like if you sit back for St. Cloud, then you're almost trying to stretch Western. You're almost begging them to come out of their structure and try to force you to skate. And that opens up some room in the middle of the ice between the two blue lines. And again, uh, for Andy Murray's squad, they're very, very, uh, you know, patient, but they're also a, a very, very disciplined team and they rarely break from that structure. So uh, again, that breakout super, super important and even more so transition as well, especially in the long change period in the second one, that's where it gets really, really tough against Western Michigan. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Of course, uh, St. Cloud State, like we mentioned, has them in November in February. Uh, they'll face, um, the Western Michigan Broncos four times. The Huskies will should be a good one. We do wish the Western Michigan Broncos the best of luck against everyone in the NCHC, except of course, our St. Cloud state Huskies next week on the docket is um, a nice sunshiny, bright and amazing discussion with our favorite team in the NCHC, the North Dakota <laughs> fighting Hawks. We'll have them on the docket next week, followed by the Duluth Bulldogs where Bruce Siski will also uh, stop in later that week to talk a little bit of uh, Bulldogs hockey as well, but that will do it for our coverage for the Western Michigan Broncos. Stick around 
Brown. We're going to talk uh, very briefly about the Kirill Kaprizov contract. Is he headed back over to the KHL? And what the heck is the deal with Kevin Weeks's tweet? All that and more in our Extra Ice session. And welcome into our extra ice session where uh, Nick and I are going to walk you through this week's uh, deep breathing exercise, aka the Kuro Kaprizov contract or lack thereof from the Minnesota Wild. Uh, this all stemmed essentially from a tweet from Kevin Weeks saying that the trade or the trade talks, the contract talks have gone cold between the Minnesota Wild and uh, the superstar um, Ford and uh, Michael Russo so eloquently kind of. Uh, helped us take a semi-collective deep breath. Uh, Nick, can you walk us through what that tweet actually was essentially from Kevin Weeks? And uh, moreover, uh, <laughs> is there any merit to what uh, Kevin is saying? Yes and no. Um, first of all, Kevin Weeks, uh, he's a respected former NHL player, respected mm -hmm. analyst on the NHL network. So, uh, But uh, effectively, he's feeling a little bit of an unneeded discussion. We'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it, let's first analyze the Kaprizov situation from the player's perspective, okay? So for Kaprizov, as I fix my hat and my hair here, um, <laughs> that whole Continental Hockey League rumor uh, is all of that. Now, and it's common. It's common, right? Yep. So first of all, let's establish two things. And I think Michael Russo uh, laid this out very eloquently. As, as, as a restricted free agent, he has two options. Yes, he can only sign with the Minnesota Wild or he can sign in Russia, right? And he would still be Minnesota Wild property even if he signs a deal in Russia. I will tell you this, that is not happening. Here is why the Russia thing is even remotely being discussed. It is a absolutely brilliant bargaining and leverage tactic from the Kaprizov tree. Um, let's look at it this way. They're at an impasse and these things happen, right? As contract negotiations, both parties know where they're at, where everybody, what each other want. And it's very opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Kaprizov understands that he's a guy that probably can cash into some big money. And if he locks into him, you know, locks into it now, he's going to be missing some dollars come down the length of the contract. The Wild want to get him in a team-friendly deal. They also want to control his rights into free agency by that long-term deal, right? So, hmm, we have opposites attract <laughs> here, right? So here's what I think will happen. Uh, again, short and sweet is I, I think you're going to see a three- to four-year bridge deal uh, with Kaprizov. It's going to be um, probably north of 8 to $9 million a season. Um now, here's the tricky part with Kaprizov. When you bet on yourself like this, um, you know, again, we've seen this with other players before, is that say he gets injured, say that he does not keep up, and let's just say that that playoff performance or the lack thereof because of teams now having film on him and they're studying how he works, he's not producing anymore. Now you're going to be wishing a couple of years. You signed that long-term deal. So this is a risk for Kaprizov. And it's also a little bit of a risk for the wild too, right? Is, you know, you want to lock them up long-term, but maybe just maybe, and we don't know that. I just, I doubt that Kaprizov is going to regress from the season that he had, but it, it's, I, it, the fans are panicking because it took him so long to get here and they just don't want to see him play that one year in the, in the, in, in the NHL and go back to Russia. There's a big reason why Russian draft picks, even of his caliber dropped to a fifth round selection is because there is so much uncertainty 
about them actually coming over and then staying in the NHL. Um, but to me, I think Kaprizov is just playing the negotiation tactics perfectly. Um, he's probably, like I said, it's going to end up being where the Minnesota are going to cave to that. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if it's going to be a, like a, a front-loaded contract uh, with some uh, with some signing bonuses. I think that's going to be in play to try to keep maybe that cap hit down. And I'd like to I'd, I'd like to see where Bill Garrett and the Wild actually meet. I guess I think it's going to be three, four years max, but I do think it's going to be three because that takes him to a unrestricted free agency. Two, um, with the flat cap expected to finally end in two years um, for Kaprizov, he's playing the role of when I walk into free agency, there's going to be a better financial situation for the league uh, as well as for the team, and then he can ask for his big boy contract at that point. That's what I think is going to happen, but he's not going back to KHL. Yeah, important to, you know, recognize the risks of long-term contracts. Although the Minnesota Wild, you know, haven't had to worry about those too much. <clears throat> Zach Breezy, <clears throat> Ryan Suter. Okay, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, so as you said, the one thing that makes Kirill Kaprizov different and the re- the other thing that I think, um, yes, the KHL bargaining chip uh, has been used um, very frequently. The extra level of zenness that I think the Wild fans have to have here is um, Kaprizov is in a very interesting spot that you don't actually, you know, honestly take it in a little bit. Take it a little bit. You don't often see a restricted free agent who, who is classified as what is called a 10.2C. Um, and what that essentially is meaning is that uh, Kaprizov hasn't accrued the necessary amount of professional seasons required to be kind of the normal, what they call group two RFA status. Um, and what that means is that restricted free agents normally who are in group two um, are eligible for an offer sheet. So um, for example, I guess uh, Joel Erickson I think would be a great example. You know, when he was a restricted free agent, anyone could offer him an offer sheet, right? Um, but with Kaprizov, you can't do that just simply because he's only played one season in the National Hockey League and is now due for his next contract because they burned essentially two years of his entry-level deal in, in a sense, if you will. Um, one year. One, one year, but no, yes. By age, his three-year entry-level deal becomes two years and then they burned one year of that deal yes yeah yeah so um but that's that's the thing is just take a deep breath the negotiations have not gone cold the negotiations are happening it's really about obviously um amount but really it's more about term and like you mentioned it's it's what does Kaprizov feel does he feel like he can replicate the amount of success that he had and that he can bet on himself i i think honestly um i think five years i think five years is a nice little Nice little bridge of in between that I think where both parties are going to be be around there. Four years, maybe five. I think that's where they're going to kind of sit, where it pushes him. Uh, you know, he's going to push him into UFA status, but at the same time, it's also um, I think going to give Kaprizov enough time to really prove his worth. And then you know he's 24 years old, so he'll be 28, 29 in the prime of his career at that particular point. He's able to bet on set himself after that for the next six or seven years and earn that type of money that he's due, provided he replicates the success that he has. But I think Nick, um, before you get to your point, my overarching question for you um, and anyone who is panicking as a Wild fan. Um, I mean, what, what would you, what would you tell them, uh, you know, to kind of just get them to take a deep breath here? Cause it's easy to have that knee jerk reaction. We waited so it long is. for him to come over one, two and waited so long for a superstar of this caliber to be in this organization. So, well, I think a lot of people look at, you know, especially the one piece that they look at as oh, the KHL would offer much a crap ton of money. No. Nope. Okay, fine. <laughs> no. Uh, and even if they did, um, 
where the, the, the KHL has been very long reported that they're in financial disarray, essentially, mm-hmm. as an entire league. They've contracted a couple of teams already in the last couple of years. Um, so if you're going to have an ownership that throws him a whole bunch of money, uh, there's not a whole lot of money left over for the other players on that squad. He wants to be in a winning squad. Uh, two, he likes it here. He does. Um, he plays well. This is you know the, the top league in the entire world. And, and number three, if you're Kaprizov, if your intention was to play one year in the NHL and go back, uh, I don't understand how that's possible. And here's why I say that. Um, if you're like a Mikhail Gregorenko, if you're like uh, Zemgis Gergensens, where you're, you're not, you know, uh, let's call it this. Kaprizov is a superstar player. He absolutely is. Those guys may be mid six bottom six role players where you know the money isn't really the big thing the term isn't you're not having people claw and scratch at you uh, so you have a little bit more of that free line of negotiations of what's really best for you personally uh, for Kaprizov you know he, he's from what I understand he, he, you know he's not married he doesn't have any kids um, he's got everything in the world in front of him and as you mentioned with RFA status uh, the Carolina Hurricanes should send a bouquet of flowers and a thank you know to Mark mm-hmm. Bergman for Sebastian Ajo a couple yep. of years ago but with that being said, uh, you know, he's also doesn't have arbitration rights, right? So at, at this point, being the 10.2, as you mentioned, uh, with that same ideal, <clears throat> he hasn't had enough games where um, the Wild could offer this, agent could offer this, and then they come together with an, in, you know, uh, an independent arbitrator to decide what that contract should be, the length of term. Uh, he doesn't have that. But on the same point, and this is what another quote from Russo is that, he essentially is his own arbitrator. He knows his status with the squad. Um, and I, to me, I just don't, it doesn't make sense to me that he would want to go back to Russia w- with a situation. He's essentially out of his control effectively uh, to a team that is less. I just, I just don't get that. So yeah. wild fans call out. This is normal negotiations. Mm-hmm. Again, if you and look at what the, and it's June, <laughs> It's June, right? It's, it's going to be fine, right? And, yeah. you know, it's funny because these these impasse lines and, and, yeah, but these things happen all the time, especially with big-name players. And I think it's, again, it's scary because we haven't had a player of this caliber in such a long time, if, if ever, honestly. And now, because of the normal kind of procedural way these things just naturally carry themselves and the way that again both parties are positioned one's at west you know the west side the other one's at the east side they have to somehow find the middle ground and agree to something because they're they're so far away that there's this sort of immediate push to say there's no way they're going to get to the middle and get something done i i don't agree with that synopsis at all i think both mm-hmm. both parties want to get something done the question is can you find what, you know, what's going to be happy with? And I, I honestly, I think I, I, I hate to disagree with you, uh, Noah here a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be five. Like I said, I think it's going to be three or four. I just don't think the wild in her Does, position do, to, doesn't even freaking matter to me. Do, I mean, just get well, them signed. You know, I mean, well, here, well, let, let, issue, let, let, let's, let's, let's be real though. Kirill Kaprizov, whether on the front end of this contract or on the back end of this contract, provided he plays the way that he did this year, he's going to make money at some point. Like, you know, but you're okay, but that's from the team's perspective, right? Kaprizov is smart. He and and honestly, with his agent who's worked with mm, a couple of other Russian big guys before, uh, <clears throat> Alexander Ovechkin, um, if I if I remember correctly, uh, no, they know exactly where he's at. He holds all the cards in these negotiations, and at some point, what is going to happen is Minnesota is going to have to cave because they know that. And that's that leverage point we talked about with the KHL. It's there as a bargaining chip, 100%. But that also means that 
you know, there could be some, you know, you don't want to scare people off, right? Negotiations are a very artful thing. You know, art of the deal, someone wrote that, even though I don't really, anyway, so we'll, we'll skip that. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, but I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, the, the offer for, for Minnesota was a long-term deal, you know? So who knows, right. well, maybe, maybe five is something that, you know, he feels all right with. Maybe he wants to go a little bit shorter. But from but, what from what we've what we've heard, right? It's three to four max is that he wants to walk himself essentially into UFA status. And I believe that would be three if I if we played full seasons, we don't have a work stoppage, all that good jazz. Um, and again, he stays healthy, right? So, and again, I, I think, I think he'll get that. I really do. I think the wild wall just because of you want to keep him happy. You want to keep him around. And, and I think that's where this tension is, is, you know, I think at some point Bill Guerin's going to be forced to, to, to give him that length knowing that, you know, the next go around is going to be a very, very, I think that's actually the more scarier negotiations is after this one. I don't think this one's really much in jeopardy. Well, the question question is though, how scary is it if he puts up 30 goals for the next three years, then it's really not all that scary because you you know what you're getting, you know, you know what you're paying for, you know? Well, it's scary. The fact that, and this is again, it's scary because then he's a UFA, which means, What's the wild cap situation with? Again, we talk about Kaprizov, but what about Fiala? What about Eric Sinek? What if these guys continue to develop and get better? You're going to have money issues, and don't just don't forget you got Zach Parise and Zach or Ryan Sitter coming off the books in four years or whatever it is. So yeah, it close, but and that's assuming they're with the team. They don't you know do any you know get moved or whatnot. I, I don't think Suter is going anywhere, but Parise I think still has a question mark. Yep. Um, but but again the the it's it's not from that side. No, I think people scares is now it's he's gonna demand big money. Where is the Minnesota's financial situation gonna be? And you know again that's gonna be the leverage he has is hey I'm a consistent 30 goal scorer pay me Austin Matthews money because guess what what's he making 12 north of 12 million a year 11.34 or something like like that 11 some um that is on the horizon in three years and again the NHL is going to be just coming out of financial recovery supposedly again Seattle coming in and that injection of 750 million helps but on the grand scheme of things it's a drop in the bucket right the NHL lost over two billion dollars these last 18 months that's it sounds like it's a small amount of money, but again, the NHL are the top four um, pro sports leagues. That's a lot to them. Um, these new broadcast uh, money will help a little bit, I would think, but uh, at the end of it, until we see the salary cap rise, how much it's going to rise. Uh, that's really where um, a lot of these teams are in such, <laughs> it's such a, a math conundrum because you're trying to, again, sign these guys for three, four, eight years in the future, if you want, and again, we just don't, you just don't know what that money is going to look like or how, what, what that player is going to do. I think we know what Kaprizov is going to do. I think there's no question. You know what you're getting with him. Question is, can you afford him? And can you develop? And, and this is where, to me, the next section is. With Kaprizov, he signs for three years. And his essentially, his ask is going to be, what can you get around me to help me be better? And I think that's where the indictment is on Bill Guerin. is not getting him signed this contract. is okay. What is the organization going to do to help build a Stanley Cup contender? You've got three years to show that you're serious and you have to make the right moves. Because again, I think that I honestly to me, that's the bigger conversation piece is how well can this front office staff build a contender that makes him want to stay, sign that longer term deal at the end of this next three or four that he's going to get to make him feel, yep, this front office is, is really in it to win it. They're doing all the right things. Maybe they win one in the next three, maybe they get close, but that's to me the bigger question mark is not Caprice up, but what can they build around him to make this team a contender? 
I really chuckled. I looked at Twitter the other day, and somebody had commented on Kevin Weeks' thing that they said, yep, Caprizov's going back to the KHL. He never really looked happy here. I'm like, you've seen that dude when he scores goal, all 27 of his goals. He's he's beaming inside, man. You kidding me? No. It, yeah, it made, made me laugh. You know what? The Wild are going to be okay. They're going to be okay. It's it's going to work out. Really, it will. Um, And, and that's the thing is whatever term it's going to be, the Wild will find a way to get it done. You know, it might not be necessarily on Minnesota's terms, you know, all the way, you know, for, for, for that part. Because like you mentioned, Kaprizov is in a very – unique position in history and um again the report card will come out in a couple of years on to how this one went right so um yeah it, it'll be interesting minnesota will be okay um kaprizov will be back in a wild sweater um i think you and i both agree on that in what capacity we're gonna find out uh, you know we're not the ones at the negotiating table but um yeah like you mentioned the next part is what will Minnesota do after this? I think with Bill Guerin at the helm, I think that a lot of good moves are coming. It'll be an interesting off season, nonetheless for all teams, especially with the expansion draft. And just because who doesn't love interesting off seasons for the Minnesota wild with Chuck Fletcher, we didn't have any of those since 2012. So <laughs> I mean, and but. to your point, um, you know, about what does Minnesota wild do a big reason why Ray Sherrill was brought in a mm-hmm. big reason why um, a former GM, um, you know, again, as an advisor to the, to Bill Guerin, right. So a lot of, you know, and again, Ray Sherrill was the GM on, you know, on top of Bill Guerin in Pittsburgh. Well, Bill Guerin was just getting to start in the front office. Uh, I think that relationship is good. And, you know, you say what you want to Ray Sherrill, maybe some of the things that he's done, but to have that experience there that's done contract negotiations even more. So, I mean, we talked about Jack Eichel in the past and addressing the need for that, uh, that center. I think, again, that center piece is so huge. He's a big reason why Ray Sherrill was here is that they, I think they understand too, that it's not just about Kaprizov. That's only really a a small domino in the, in the entire sequence, right? It's, what do we do after we sign him? Because again, we got Fiel and Erickson neck. You have the expansion draft. And then how can we take maybe some assets that we have? Again, two first round draft picks. You have a couple of intriguing RFAs slash UFAs that are out there that you have got to improve your center depth. I'm not quite sure if it'll be accomplished this season, but I think no question about it, whether it's middle at the trade deadline next season, but for sure next off season, maybe if you get some cap relief there with some other contracts or whatnot, maybe some moves you make, um, you know, that's going to be prior to one is going to be the uh, addition to a, a good center for Kaprizov and Zuccarello. So um, again, I, I, we're both in agreement. So, uh, Kaprizov's back. I think these negotiations go into July. I would not be surprised about that. Um, a big reason I think it goes to July is there's no rush. There's no rush. Both, both these guys know what's going to get done. And I think what will be interesting too, is if you're Kaprizov, uh, you do wait. Uh, it's because let's just say that, you know, you got some other guys out there that are looking to have their contracts resigned. Um, there's always that first domino to fall in, in, in contracts, right? Which is, Oh, that guy scored 20 goals and he's getting this amount of money. Well, guess what? I scored 30. That means I need to get that much more. Um, so again, uh, for Kaprizov, he's playing, he's a smart kid. You know, he, he knows he's in a unique position and again, he holds a lot of the negotiation going negotiating cards, but, uh, again, he'll be back in a wild sweater, but again, to me, he's not the most important piece is what they do afterwards is the, where it really gets important for the wild. Yeah, well, I don't really like hockey, so I don't really know. So I guess we'll see. Nonetheless, 
<laughs> nonetheless that will do it for episode number 66 don't know what we're going to do for a guest again this week kind of been an interesting little uh, roller coaster ride with that maybe we'll just take the rest of the summer off i don't know <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out we'll, we'll we'll have some things on the docket you won't want to miss it but nonetheless that will do it for episode number 66 as always episode 67 will be coming your way uh on sunday we'll have uh the north dakota fighting hawks on the docket for this one should be exciting and uh yeah see you again next week here in the den Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perlix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.